Welcome back to episode 33 of the Hockey House Podcast. I'm Mackenzie Murphy, joined virtually for another episode with Glick, Fitz, and Herm. Fitz, how are we doing tonight? Doing really well, Murph. Flying high. There's like a tornado warning here in Chicago tonight, so was worried that the special episode here might get uh, tampered, but everything worked out well. Glick, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. A little change of scenery for this one. Finally moved into my apartment just outside Temple University. Started classes this week, so I'm excited for a great junior year. How about you, Herm? How you doing? Doing great. Headed into the city tomorrow just for a business function. And then Friday, I took some PTO, so I'm going to go fishing with my dad. Super, super pumped for that. Haven't been out on a boat with him in years so that'll be a great time so i'm officially moved into syracuse as you can tell my background looks like i stole all of glick's jerseys because he has none in his background and i have all of them behind me but uh it's good to be in the house officially moved i've been living in this house rent free for the past year and a half i've eaten many meals here and and now it's a little different because now i pay rent and like i have to clean the dishes in the morning so a a little different but looking forward to i mean this is going to be such a fun year you know fingers crossed everything stays the way it is but like getting to go to the rink and like skate with rookies during stick and puck and like we're wearing masks but like hey we can skate and we can go to the locker and we can get dressed like those are all things that we did not get to do we spent all last year getting dressed right down the hallway from my room and then driving to the rink it was hilarious but like I don't want to ever do that again so it's been really fun moving in and like we're all we're in the honeymoon phase all the roommates love each other so far there's no messes yet I'm sure those days will come but for now we're living high right now so my mom was not living high though when she showed up here. I got here three hours before she did to help me move in. And I did a quick, like I swept, I vacuumed, I tried to put stuff away. I tried to throw everything out. And then I got the the house to a point where like normally if I walked in, it looked like that. I'd be like, wow, this place is really nice. Like this place is clean right now. She walked in and she thought very differently of how I felt. And obviously as a parent, you know, you want to know, you want your kid living in the best place they can when they're in their college. And it was kind of eye opening for her. So she came to terms with it. She understands the hockey house and, and what it means to the Syracuse hockey team. So shout out to my mom, Kelly Murphy, for helping me move in this weekend and my siblings who came along for the ride. But it's good to be back. This is kind of like the season finale for us as we wrap up the summer here. We're going to change our recording schedule a bit moving up into the season and, and ACHA hockey is back and, and better than ever. But we've got a great interview on tap for you guys. This is a guy we've been trying to get for a while now. We picked him up after he won a Stanley Cup. Not a big deal. Enough of us talking. We're going to cut right to it. Here's episode 33 with Daniel Walcott. We're pleased to be joined by former Lindenwood University Lion, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League All-Star, Syracuse Crunch fan favorite, and Stanley Cup champion. Please give a warm welcome to Daniel Walcott. Wally, welcome to the Hockey House. Thanks for having me, guys. Wally, we're pumped to have you. We've been wanting to get you on for a while now. Obviously, the crazy season that you had this past year, it's even better that you can come on and talk now. How's your summer been so far? Uh, it's been pretty hectic. I mean, it was a long season, you know, mid- mid-July we ended. Uh, I feel like I just got back and I was already got to go back in four weeks. So luckily I was training throughout the playoffs. So I'm not too much out of shape, but it's, uh, it's definitely going to be quick. If you're not familiar with it, how we normally start the show is we kind of ask guys how they ended up playing in the ACHA. Kind of lead us through how you ended up at, at Lindenwood. What was kind of your, your hockey career like growing up? I was playing the highest level probably up till Peewee. And then financially, my parents just couldn't afford to travel hockey anymore. So I just went and played from my high school team in Montreal. 
we started high school at grade seven. So I played there, played football and hockey, just kind of wrecked. Then I tried out for this college team over here. They said I wasn't going to make the team, so don't try. My dad had been living in Chicago for about seven years, so I went and joined him. And I played for, uh, he was living in the district of the Nutrier High School. So I played for that team, which had just won states. I played a year at Nutrier in Chicago. And then that summer, I just tried out for every USHL, like, they have the USHL summer camps in June, I think, or early of the summer. And there were Chicago's like hosting all these teams. I went to probably every single one of them that they hosted. And then every NA team I tried out for, and everyone just kept saying, you're an import. We don't have room for you. Maybe next year. At this point, I have no team to play on. And it's summer goes on. And now we're August. And I'm trying out for the Sioux Eagles in the NA. And then Rick Zombo just saw me. He was like a guest scout. He came up to me after the first period of the scrimmage and he goes, uh, we're going D1 in two years, NCAA. We'd like to offer you a scholarship. We're club right now. At that point, I was like, I don't care what you are. Like I heard D1 in two years. I can grind it out for two years and then hopefully play, you know, Division One hockey. That's how I got to Lindenwood. The path you've been on is, is crazy. Once you get to Lindenwood, what is your kind of like welcome to the ACHA moment? I know you talked about there was a plan to go Division One when you went there. Was there anything that kind of caught your eye and maybe you weren't expecting when you first got there? Well, first of all, probably like mid-August and school was starting either the first week of September or late August for the freshmen. So I'm like rushing to get everything ready. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to pack? I'm going to be in the dorm. I just need like a box for a hamper, some clothes and like whatever, just bare, like bare minimum. When I get there, they're like, yeah, we don't have any dorms for you, but the coach organized an off-campus housing for you as a freshman which is like unheard of there. Even the sophomores didn't get that. So I was like, okay, like, sure, that's fine. Still think it's going to be fully furnished or whatnot. It had absolutely nothing, no internet, no TV. I was just there with my sheets and a box for like serving as a hamper in my clothes. And that's when I was like, what is this? Like I'm in St. Charles, Missouri. It's a little kid from Montreal. I have no idea where I'm at. And I was like, oh, how am I going to get through this? So that was the first, like, what the hell is this moment I had? And then the rink was like a half an hour from the school. So that was, I had to rush to try to meet some hockey players there and try to get a ride to the practice facility. It was definitely that first day, first week, I was like going to bed at eight o'clock because I didn't have any service on my phone. Like I just had a flip phone, like I had nothing and I had nowhere to go. I was literally 15 minute walk from campus. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to St. Charles, Missouri, but it's, it's, a, it's a little rough. So uh, that was definitely my welcome to the ACHA moment. Now looking back. Once you got settled in at, at Lindenwood, what would you say was your, the overall experience like playing at, at Lindenwood? Was it what you expected or? I'll say I had no expectations. I was just, like I said, just trying to go there to play Division One. When I got there, I was impressed by the, the quality of the hockey. I mean, I was 18 and my captain was 26. So the guys were older, much older. And it was kind of beneficial to me. Like later on, looking at looking back at it, because I was playing with men, I was grateful for it. Playing at Arizona State was was something I was like, their team was sick. I was like, okay, so this hockey, like they had all USHL kids because they didn't have the grades or whatnot to go D1. They're like, well, like, we'll just go to like Arizona State. Why not? So their team was stacked with USHL kids and it was pretty good quality hockey. And, you know, like I said, I was the youngest guy. So I hadn't, I had no idea what junior hockey was. I never played. I tried to, but 
no one wanted me. And these guys had all come out junior hockey, like just they were there to have a good time, which was good to me too, for me too, because it was just I, I wasn't really nervous going into the, the games. I was just, you know, I'm just gonna go play my game, have a good time. These guys are having a blast. Great group of guys. So I mean it was fun and, and definitely didn't know what to to expect. But after that, I mean, friends for life for sure. I still talk to all those guys on that team. So it's it's great. Wally, once again, thanks for coming on. You've been on two teams that have just absolutely beat the bag out of me in the last few years. Uh, Lindenwood, New Trier. I'm a Chicago guy, so I played for St. Rita High School. We had some good tilts with New Trier, but uh, you guys would always come out on top. And then Lindenwood freshman year, they took it to us. You know, some of the guys on that Lindenwood team, did they go, you know, continue to play on in places or, you know, talk about some of your favorite guys on that team? Unfortunately, not many guys from my freshman year, we went we lost to Minot State in the national championship game. And I think after that, guys transferred out. Uh, we had an older team, so guys were kind of just like concentrating more on school. I don't think we had very many. I don't think there was any guys that went on from hockey after that year. Cody Barra was the only guy that kind of stayed and played all his four years there. It was like... One of those teams that here and now, like, put together. And then after that, it, we've been through so much. I, I feel like guys would just, all right, I think this this is the end of the road for us. Like I said, there was an older team. I, I was just, I think it was only two or three freshmen. The rest were, like, juniors and seniors. So it was kind of, I don't know, it was just different. Even me, I thought I was going to go back. I was really convinced I was going to go back. And then the Q coach was like, there's no way I can let you go back. But like I said, I mean, no one went, no one pursued any hockey career from that team other than myself. But I still talk to all those guys all the time. We were just such a tight-knit group and I mean you guys know how how it is it's it's a couple steps under the NCAA D1 in terms of like all the gimmicks and stuff I mean our women's team was D1 and they got everything Bauer the nice locker room and we kind of bonded over the fact that we're just second tier and we we didn't get anything we got the like hand-me-downs from the, the women's team and we just bond over things like that and it was just a good time you mentioned playing in the national championship game where was the national tournament that year so that year was in Chicago so it was kind of like a homecoming for me which kind of brought back bad memories because we had just lost to St. Rita that year in the semis to go to the state championship. And then the year after I'm back there for the national championship. And we had just beat uh, Arizona state in the semifinals, which was like the team to beat in the nation. They were so good. I think they're honestly, I think they were hungover. If they lost any game, it was, it would have been a disgrace to them. And they, and we spanked them in the semis. And that was like our champion that we hit like the, all the farmer boys from Minot state who just literally wore every shot. They stood five in the box and just wore every shot. And we were more of a skill team and like in your face. So they frustrated us. You had planned on coming back another year. How did you end up going to the queue? What was that process like? So funny enough, my dream was always to play world juniors for team Canada. I grew up with kids that were playing on world juniors. And I was like, ah, like, I'm just as good as those kids. Like, we played together growing up. Like, there's nothing. They're not that special. And me and my dad I were kind of on a mission to find a way to get me to the World Juniors. So we, we asked our coach, uh, Ted Sater, who's considered an assistant coach, but we never really saw him. Uh, we called him up and said, like, what's what's like the process of getting to World Juniors? Do you have any, any idea how I could make that happen? And sure enough, he called. He's like, I'll make a couple calls. He called the coach of the Armada who he had coached in the ECHL. He's like, hey, I got a kid here, Canadian kid. He's 18. He wants to play World Juniors. I don't know what to tell him, but you're the only guy I know that's in the Canadian Hockey League system. Can you help me out? And then that coach, obviously, he's, well, I don't know what I can do. I mean, I just coach the Armada, but I know that they do scout our league quite 
quite hard to, for those kids. And and if you want, we can give him a look at a tryout for my team if he's as good as you say he is. And then so thanks to Ted Sater for having that contact. So they gave me a tryout, which turns out it was a coach from my hometown team. So it was easy for me to be like, yeah, okay. During the summer, I'm like, okay, I'll just show up to the tryout, not expecting anything. Like just going to try out to like be seen by scouts to go back to Linwood and play world juniors. But like I said, there was like this rule where I can only be there for 48 hours. And then I had to either make a decision to stay or go back. And that's when the, the assistant coach, the GM came up to me and said, there's no way you're leaving. You want to play world juniors. You better not leave this team. I'll make you the best defenseman in this league within by the end of the year. And I was like, well, shit, I've never in the past couple of years, I haven't had any coach or anyone tell me that they're, they want me. They've always, it's always been a no, no, no. And finally, like in the QMJHL, they're like, yeah, we want you for sure. And he's telling me he's going to make me the best D. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And then sure enough, 10 games later, I'm playing in the subway series against team Russia uh, on the all-star Quebec all-star team. And that was basically my trial for world juniors. So as this close, like it was just, I just wanted to play world juniors and I ended up leaving Lynn and playing in the queue. So did you be, did you expect to be drafted after your first season then in the queue? It was so crazy because, you know, you, you come from playing club hockey to a tryout and then playing on this all-star. And literally after that all-star series against Russia, I had, I think, 14 NHL interviews. And I was like, whoa, this is like legit. So I didn't realize it was that close like guys would teams would come and like they were literally waiting at the door after the game and like uh we'd like to talk to you we'd like to talk to you and i was like oh i think the islanders interview was like an hour and a half of just like a million questions to answer and i was like freaking out i i couldn't believe it i was just at lindenwood in st charles missouri a year before not even a couple of months before and then i was seeing that with nhl teams uh gig interviewed to get drafted so i kind of had a good feeling because i was I just came out of nowhere and they were like kind of excited. It's like that new girl in school that you're like, oh, who's she? And you like, that's how I felt. And they're all just curious to see like what I'm all about. And yeah, I mean, I was, I felt confident going into the draft. I even went to Philly. I wasn't there in person. And then, yeah, fortunately I was drafted by the Rangers. So headed back to your second year with the Armada, you were named captain. Tell us a little bit about that and, you know, how it felt to be named the captain of a QMJHL team after playing club hockey just two years ago. I came into there, like I was mentioning before, I think playing with the older guys really helped me uh, develop, especially my physical side. Uh, I would just go into games, not even thinking about how big guys are. I had just played with men. I was just comfortable and, you know, having confidence in hockey, like anyone knows when you're confident, like you'll play your best hockey. And I got there, I was the oldest kid because I was 19 and guys were 16, 17, 18 under me, probably towards the middle to towards playoffs of that first season. We're, we're a tight knit group and coach saw that like I would always host Montreal. So, I mean, I just came from Linden. I want to show these guys a good time too. So I would kind of host and have guys over for dinners and stuff and kind of be a big brother to these guys. And during that playoff run, I got the, I was named assistant captain the first year. So going to that second year, I was, I was the oldest on the team. The only guy drafted, the coach had kind of gave me the, uh, the lowdown of how it was going to end and how it was going to go on the next year in my uh, exit meeting. So I knew I was, I was going to be captain, but it was definitely an honor to, you know, go, like you said, from club hockey to captain of a QMJHL team a year and a half later and not even. So you talked about that your plan all along growing up was just to play world juniors 
after that second year of juniors, was it like, all right, time to turn pro? Was that your mindset? There's always a new milestone. You know, you, you think you first it was getting drafted. You know, you get drafted and then you're like, well, I got drafted, but I got to sign a contract to play pro. Like so many guys, you see so many guys get drafted and then never sign. And that's it. The highlight of their career is that they got drafted. So move this milestone out the door. Now let's go to the next one. So as soon as I got drafted, first thing was I got, I got to get signed. And I didn't get signed till, till even, well, I got traded first. So I, I finished my junior year and, and then we called Hartford and I was like, do you guys need me? And they're like, oh yeah, sure. Come up. And then it was like, okay, now we got to go win a, I just lost in the first round. Now I got to go win a, like a college cup with Hartford, which we went to the conference finals with a team that had no business being there. So it almost felt like not that we're I was back at like the same feeling at Lindenwood because we had a good team, but Arizona State was like the team to be. But I felt like that was the same kind of team that Hartford had, where they had a lot of old guys and it was kind of the last last hurrah for them. Once juniors was in the back rearview mirror real quick, once I, I stepped into Hartford and I mean, my first day there was, was crazy. I go on the ice as an extra skater, like after the team with uh, Nick Tarnaski and, and like a couple other guys, and it's just a three on three and I just can't go like score some goals. You know, I want to, I want to show the coach that I'm ready to play in this pro league. I don't know if you guys know who Nick Tarnaski is, but you can look him up. He's a huge fighter. Back then, I mean, he was crazy looking too. This guy was humongous. And I like stick lifted him and scored. And then he turned around and like was cross checking me. And I was like pretending like I didn't feel it and like was looking away, like kind of, what am I supposed to just let you like dangle me? And then he, he, he cross checked me four times, broke my stick with a slash and then just like kept playing. And I'm just sitting there with like, what the fuck just happened? The coach doesn't say anything. The players don't say, everyone just look at me like, I'm like, what is this pro hockey? Like I'll never survive. Like if, if this guy's pissed because I just like, what am I supposed to do? Just let him score? Like, what am I, like, what am I going to do? So then the, like after practice, the assistant coach like, well, welcome to pro hockey. And I'm like, oh, holy fuck. This is going to be a long time. So what's it been, been like then playing for the Syracuse Crunch? I don't know if you guys have been to any games at the at the War Memorial in Syracuse, but like those fans are unbelievable, especially for my style of play where now I've turned into I've moved away from an offensive defenseman to more of a greedy fourth line forward that loves to throw the body around. So like playing in Syracuse is probably the best place for me, like in terms of the hard nosed blue collar city it is like I will literally miss a hit but hit the board so hard and they'll go nuts it's unbelievable feeling it's you know it's a small barn but that tin roof and the fans going nuts it's it's literally crazy especially that call the cup final game five uh that was the craziest game I've ever been a part of yeah Wally I made it to a game uh my freshman year I, we saw you guys play at Hartford and I walked in and I hadn't been to an AHL game in a while I walked in uh, there was a group of guys dressed uh, as Captain Crunch, and they all had Walcott on the back of their shirts. There was that, and then obviously everyone's got the cowbells in Syracuse, so the place is rocking. I know you played with Mike McKenna that year, and he's always said – I mean, he's played everywhere in pro hockey, and he has always said that the War Memorial in Syracuse during the Calder Cup playoffs is the loudest building in hockey. Easily, and like those are – you call it a good game because my buddies were in town probably one once a year that year was captain crunch my friends are crazy but it's they definitely when they come to Syracuse and they do stuff like that they're fully embraced and the staff and the crowd and anyone that's there let them do whatever they want so they take advantage of that and that just goes to how you know how how good of fan base is you 
you know, you have some fan base in the NHL where it's more of like a business attire. Like you know, you're going to play in front of some diehards. So it's always a good time. So you mentioned earlier that you you guys made to the car, the color cup finals. So talk us a little bit about in your second pro season being, you know, in the AHL finals championship. But yeah, that second season was a, uh, Kind of a whirlwind for me. Started off on D midway through the year. We had some injuries up front and coach decided, hey, I'll put you up front because I know you played a couple games last year and they liked you. Uh, this guy was a new coach. He actually coached me in the Subway Series uh, back in the queue. And from there, I just embraced that role of, you know, being first on the fourth check, finishing my check and pissing people off. And that year, our team was so stacked. We had like eight guys go up to the show and then come back strictly for playoffs because Tampa didn't make it. So naturally, I'm thinking, oh, shit, I, we got eight players coming back from the NHL. How am I going to find a way to stay in this lineup? The guys really got behind me because I'm kind of a clown on the team. Like I'll do all the starting lineups and do like dumb, dumb stuff. Like the coach came up to me and goes, Wally, we have 12 forwards. 11 of them have played in the NHL before. And you're the only one and you're a defenseman. But the guys, I talked to them and they said, we want him in the lineup. So you're going. And I was like, wow, like what, what more motivation do you need? Like, that's it. Like the guys wanted me in. I was the only guy, the only forward on that team who had never played in the NHL, no experience. And I was a defenseman. So I was just like, I wasn't even nervous. I was just so excited. And uh, we like what you do. Keep doing what you do. And uh, you're going to help us win. I had just come back from a broken arm that year. And I played against Toronto. That was like Rich Clune. I was in his head. That was just, it was so fun. And we had that game seven that we won. We came back and won. And then almost, we basically swept Providence. I was along for the whole ride. And it was just a great time. You know, it just sucks. We had the team to to win it all and we just came up short you know and you don't know when you'll ever be there again and that's why I was so grateful that when I was in Tampa that they allowed me to experience that with the team because you never know when you're going to be in a position like that again have a such a great team before we jump into the the NHL talk I wanted to ask you really quick if you've ever been like chirped on the ice by someone from the other team about playing club hockey or someone on your own team in the locker room you just get treated differently for having played ACHA you know guys don't even really know that I play club hockey and even when I do tell them they don't I don't think they truly understand what it what it is like it just the only guy that really was like was actually McKenna because he's from St. Louis. So he knew all about Lindenwood and but it's like guys don't even be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You play. Okay. That's fine. You get to a certain point where guys don't care because you're all in the same boat. So whether they chirp me or not for playing club, it's like, well, we're still on the same ice. You know, the, the big chirp is usually like when guys just get called up from the coast and, and you know that they, like guys will be like, enjoy, like what Dowdy said to Maroon, like enjoy your make a wish game or whatever. Um, but going further than that, guys never really, like it's still a show. Guys still that I play with still don't even know I play club hockey. And they, even if I told them, they wouldn't understand what it is. They'd just be like, oh, okay, yeah, sounds good. Obviously you've played in Syracuse a long time now. What did it mean this year during the COVID year? I know in the, in the American Hockey League, there weren't that many games because of COVID. I know you guys played Utica a bunch and, you know, the surrounding teams. But what did it mean when you got called up to the taxi squad? Honestly, first reaction was really me. Okay, sure. Let's do it. Because, you know, it's it's still a prospect league, right? You know, you these NHL teams are running a business. You want your prospects to do well. I'm, I'm past my prospects years. But it was just – I knew there was a taxi squad this year. Uh, so at camp, when I was sent down and he basically said, yeah, I mean, the team was 
was already made. The taxi, everything was predetermined. Just go down there, keep doing what you do for the young guys. And, uh, you know, and just keep doing what you do. And I was just like, I had enough. I'm like, man, I want to play in the HL. I don't want to be in. And I told them, like, my dream is to play in the HL, and that's what I want to be. And they were kind of like, yeah, we'll just keep working hard on your skills and stuff. So when I was down there with all, like, the Boris Kachuks and the Taylor Radishes and the Alex Barr-Boulez and Mitchell Stevens got called, sent down, and it was just like, okay, Wally, you're coming up. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. Okay. And then everyone just kept saying, hey, there's a reason you're getting called up. Just be yourself. And like Tampa was on a losing streak. They had just lost to Columbus too. So I hopped on a bus and, and went up to Columbus. And, you know, like I mentioned before, I like doing the starting lineup. So I brought one of my costumes with me on my way to Columbus. And literally the first first second I was in the NHL, I was already in the locker room doing the starting lineup for the guys dressed in a, in a morph suit. So, and then they ended up like Yanni Gord was the one who was like Wally because we had played together for for a couple of years and he's like hey you're coming up congrats you're doing starting lineup I'm like good because I brought costumes just in case you guys asked me and he ended up getting like five points that game he had like four in the first period so like stuff like that is another like stamp of approval for me it just like well I know I didn't do anything on the ice but I feel like I did bring something to hopefully, even if it, it was nothing to me, I'm like, yeah, I did something to help the boys win. And, you know, that's what they just kept telling me. Coop just sat me down and said, you probably not going to play, but just, you know, be the same guy you've been throughout your career and good things might happen. So. So you're on the taxi squad for a bit. Obviously, like playoffs are clinched and, and people are, you, you know that it's going to be Tampa Bay and Florida in the playoffs. And then you guys have each other on the calendar to wrap up the regular season. When did you find out you were in the starting lineup first? And then second, when did you see the significance of the starting lineup that night? So we had a couple banged up players. Patty Maroon was suspended. Still then, like, we didn't know if Patty was suspended. He was waiting on the call. So when he finally got it, Coop called me. We had been in Fort Lauderdale for about four days. And then he goes, um, well, Wally, I hope you weren't at the pool bar all day. And I go, no, why? Thinking like something's wrong, like like a, an outbreak at the bar or something. And then he goes, well, you're most likely going to make your NHL debut tomorrow. So just stay ready. I'm not sure. I'm still waiting on Pally and seeing if his foot's okay. At this point, I know like Pally's not playing. Pally's not. He blocked the shot the night before. He wasn't even in. In my head, he wasn't even in the discussion to play. So I'm like, okay, I'm I'm playing. But he's still like, you might play. And then he goes, and I'm thinking of like playing you, Joe, and and Smitty because you know uh, your winger and Smitty's a centerman. Do you rather play left or right? I'm like, coach, I'll play D if you want. I I don't care as long as I play it. Really, like I literally didn't sleep that whole night. And then. When we got to the rink, so before going to the rink, guys were like, oh, no, he's not make, he's not doing that line. He, those aren't the lines. Like, we saw them already. Those aren't the lines. So when we get to the rink, they just switched them and put it back to where me, Joe, and, and Smitty are playing together. And then it was just like, we're just, you know, buddies. We play here in, Syrac- in Syracuse. We're, you know, close, close friends. So uh, I was just excited to play my first NHL game and also be alongside guys. I know how they play. You know, I don't need to like really adapt or adjust that much because I've, I've played with them before. And so we're just going into the game like a regular game. And like you said, I, I didn't really truly understand the magnitude of it until like after the game and like the day after, like my phone was blowing up and I, I thought like blowing up maybe for like my first game, but it wasn't even that. It was just about the first starting black line and, 
And then you realize how, wow, that's crazy that that's never happened before. And I know of teams I've had, or maybe they haven't, but I, I thought I grew up watching teams that had at least more than three black guys on the team. You know, just the fact that we're all on the same line is, and it was the first one. It was pretty, it's pretty shocking, but also amazing, you know, for my first game and that, that was something I was able to accomplish with, with two of my best friends. So, I mean, we just hope that we're able to be an inspiration to it, the next generation. Like guys before us were like Jerome McGinley, who was the first African-American captain. And I was like, wow, I grew up idolizing Jerome McGinley. Like when he was captain, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. This guy's black and he's a captain of his team. That's in the NHL. That's unheard of. So I just hope to have the same effect on, on kids. You made a lot of headwaves when you, the video of your debut, you're kind of the locker room guy and the funny guy. Can you talk about the, the bag skate? You, you coming out for warmups and doing sprints boards to boards? Well, you know, I, I was telling the guys in the room, I'm like, guys, I'm sorry, but this is the first time. This is the only time this will ever happen. Your first, you know, skate out for warmups. And they're like, well, good. Yeah, we know you're not going with the bucket. I'm like, good. But I'm thinking of going board to board. What do you guys think? And they're like, there's no way you're going to do that. I'm like, what? What do you mean? There's no way. If, absolutely. Like, I spent six, six and a half years in Syracuse skating board to board with our coach. I am going board to board for sure. And like with the COVID year, we didn't play a lot of games. So in Syracuse this past year, like that was the thing. Our bag skate was like 45 seconds board to board. And it wasn't, it wasn't like for any, how we were playing or anything. It was just to stay in shape, kind of like development year. And guys hated it. And I would always like laugh and like yell, like and count out the seconds. Well, just kind of have fun with it. So when I got up there, it was like a no brainer to me and the guys who who had been in Syracuse that year too. They're like, oh yeah, for sure. He's for sure going to do it. So, I mean, it was pretty natural after that. My legs too were, my legs were shaking. So I need to find a way to get all like jitters and butterflies out of me. So a board to board was, was the only thing that, that did the job. Talking about the, the game itself. Were you planning on getting in a fight? Well, I always knew that I would try to stir up a lot, of, like try to be public enemy number one in my first game. I wasn't planning on game. Whatever happens, happens. Uh, one of our players got absolutely rocked and I tried to fight that guy. I think it was uh, Marchment. So I was trying to fight Marchment and then he just got jumped right away by the guy he hit. And then I just grabbed the next guy that showed up. Turns out he was pretty big, but whatever. I mean, first tilt in the show didn't do so well, but hey, hopefully there'll be more. I came out fine, just a, a puffy eye, and that's pretty much it. Hey, you got on the score sheet in your first game. That's all that counts. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing Coop told me after the game. It was, Wally, you were dash once, five pims, eight hits. So you, you were good. You were good in 10 minutes. That's perfect. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. But he had to mention I was dash one first. That was the first thing he mentioned. Classic, but it's okay. Because the end of the game, it was a graveyard shift. So then during the uh, Stanley Cup finals, just describe like what an average day would be like for you. So when the season, so during the season, uh, the tax squad, we were with the team 24-7. We were just like an extended players to the roster, but we weren't practicing alone. We were practicing with the team, traveling with the team and all the five-star hotels and whatnot. When it turned into playoffs, we got guys, more guys from Syracuse, and then we became the Black Aces. And now we practice only Black Aces with each, amongst each other and team practice with one extra guy, one or two extra guys with the team. So we have like pretty much summer workouts and 
a little bit of bag skates just to stay in shape because we're not playing games. Uh, we'll play like three on threes and stuff just to stay competitive. And then we'll have power skating coach. It's more like getting ready for next season, but also like staying ready for if ever, you know, you need to to play in the playoffs. So regular day, I mean, get up, go to the rink to test this year because it was obviously a COVID year. And then we go back home and then have like a 12 o'clock workout or a 12 o'clock skate, two o'clock workout sort of thing. And then just go back, do whatever golf and then come back for game time uh watch a game of stands and yeah it's pretty it's pretty basic nothing too crazy and then when that last game I think it was in third period with 10 minutes left we're up one nothing and we're like they're like hey guys you guys have to go get dressed just in case so then we're like this early and then thank god it was that early because literally like putting on one piece of equipment looking at the tv we didn't know like are we getting dressed for nothing please don't score montreal we're like nervous guys are like throwing their head underwater like it's definitely a, a crazy feeling and then you just hop on the ice in front of all those fans at home with the cup on the ice it's pretty crazy i gotta ask when when you're getting suited up like that do you put every piece of equipment on or do some things just stay in the bag? The cup stayed in the bag. I didn't, I wasn't going to block any shots, uh, but the rest, I put my gitch on. I, I did the whole nine just in case, you know, you got to look like you played. What did it mean to lift the cup and then not only lift the cup, but afterwards you got to hand it uh, to Coop? When I, BB handed me the cup, I'm like, get this out of your hands as soon as possible. Like, I was just like, we were on, we we're celebrating, but it kind of felt weird because we didn't play, but at the same time, like, you're just so excited and you're like, whatever, we're here, might as well like, enjoy it. So then when I saw, like, all the other Black Aces just, like, take the cup and skate with it, kiss it, throw it up, I'm like, yeah, let's do this. But then when I got it, I was like, holy shit, this, there's like those bracelets on the ice. They're like white bracelets. The ice is beat up. I'm like, I cannot take this for a lap with my shoulders. Like, there's no way I'm just getting a little tight loop. I'm last. I made sure I was like, okay, I'm giving it to Coop right next. And they're like, yeah, I give it to Coop. So I go in and I was like, I don't want to take any more time. Everyone's waiting for Coop. The fans were like literally waiting for Coop to, to grab it. So I'm like, let's just get this out of the way here. And then when I gave it to him, he just, he was like, you're a big part of this, a big part of the reason we're here. So never forget that. I was like, that was like the cherry on top of all the hard work, you know, and it just, it makes it all worth it. And, you know, it makes me want to push for it, like strive for another one. And then a Calder Cup as well. So Talking about the Calder Cup and, you know, this short off season, what's the, what's the plan going into this next season? Well, it's a short off season for everyone on the team. So I'm taking it that way where there's no excuses. You just got to work hard and show up to play because other teams are going to be gunning for Tampa and, and same with Syracuse, you know, they don't like you, even it boils down to the American league, you know, they, they'll look at us and be like, Oh, these guys think they're hot shit. Cause you know, their, their parent team just won two Stanley cups back to back. So Teams are going to be gunning for us, and I think we're, we're going to have a really good team this year in, in terms of personnel, whether it be in Tampa or in Syracuse. So I'm excited for the year to come, and I definitely have a new energy where I, I've seen it happen. I know what it takes. You know, I've been there before in the finals, and we just got – we were just, you know, a couple games short. And but I think that I'm, it's going to be a good year, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. Talking about, you know, your time between Syracuse and Tampa – um, we, we asked this question about your Lindenwood teammates, but any teammates in, in your time – and with the Tampa Bay organization that stick out to you, great guys that you love being around. Yeah. I think me and Corey Conacher were really, really tight. He's just a, a great guy. We just bond over so many things, whether it be golf or like just chirping, like we're the type of guys that if it's too, if it's too quiet in the room or 
nothing's really happening. We'll just start a rumor or just stir the pot somewhere. And I knew I can always rely on him to just like piggyback off of me and like get guys going, like chirp a guy and, and really get the, <laughs> the blood boiling. Uh, Luke Wachowski also, I mean, I played, he was there from day one with me. He, he left, came back. You know, I've, I've been there for so long that, you know, I just feel apart. Like it's just a huge family, especially guys like Yanni Gord, like watching them, watching him leave was, was hard because like same thing my first two years I was with him. And then when I got called up, he's the first guy, like I said, he texts me and is like, come do the starting lineup. And it just, those guys, Matthew Pekka, same thing. We, we roomed together. And I don't think there's any guy I've played with throughout this organization where I was just like, Oh man, I can't wait for this guy to be gone. Or man, I can't wait to just be, get rid of this guy. Tampa does a great job of getting good people first and then hockey, great hockey players after. But you know, you can tell when it's not easy to win the cup back to back and watching it, the guys are so like tight knit group, you know, on the same page, you got Cooch basically telling the world to, to fuck off and that Vazzy is the best goalie in the world and no one else. And, you know, that's, that's guys play for each other and that's what you need for championship teams, apparently. And to talk about, you know, the culture that is, has been built in Syracuse and you see it with Tampa Bay, Jim Sorosi is a friend of the podcast. Can, can you kind of touch on, you know, how he runs things in Syracuse and maybe the relationship between the staff and the players in Syracuse? He does it all, you know, guys coming in that are just there, like probably the new guys, the first like entry level guys or guys that just come and go, they don't realize how much Jim actually does. He makes it all like whatever Howard the owner wants and says, you'll put on paper and Jim will find a way to make it happen whatever Julian wants he'll find a way if like we had a flood last week at the war memorial and Jim was the first one you know trying to figure out how we're going to fix this who to call like he's just running around non-stop all day and it's guys like that that are willing like to just do it do it without complaint and always with a smile on your face that you know you look at guys like that and you're like well if he can do it and not complain who am I to complain and and mope around about doing one task that's not hockey related per se and I mean, I've learned a lot from from guys like Jim and and the front office because he's the leader of that front office and they follow him. Also, I follow and then from me following, then the young guys follow and then we all go on the same same direction. So you've had probably one of the wildest careers of anyone I've ever heard of. You've climbed the ranks from the ACA to the QMGL to the AHL and all the way up to the NHL. Do you have any tips or advice to any anyone playing the ACHA who wants to maybe go on play juniors? or try and play pro hockey afterwards? Well, my coach in Lindenwood, uh, Rick Zombo, the one piece of advice he said, and I'll never forget, and it's the one I always tell everyone, is that if you're good enough, the NHL, will they'll find you. A lot of the parents these days, like I'm coaching peewee kids, it's like they want to, they'll move to like playing Detroit if they're from Syracuse, or they're going to leave LA and go play in Connecticut, like just because they want to be on the on the best team to get the most exposure. If you're the best player on your team, if it's a small school or whatnot, like that's good for you. That's confidence. That's big fish, small pond. Like you're good enough. So you'll find a way to make it to where you need to go, whether it be trying out for every single team in the nation or whatnot. Like you just keep pushing and you can't let anyone just tell you, ah, you're not good enough. It's not going to work. If you're good enough, someone will find you. Like for me, it was Rick Zombo. He came to the tryout and he found me. And then from there, it was just a snowball effect where a couple fortunate calls and, and my dream came true. You know, 
we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. The stories that you have of your hockey career, you've played at almost every level in, in every part of the country. So it means a lot, not only to us, but other guys in the ACHA who are listening to this for you to come on. We love following what you do. It's, it's really cool to see a guy who played in the same league as us, you know, doing such great things like you are. So once again, thanks for coming on tonight. No, I appreciate guys. And, you know, people don't realize that the ACHA is is a legitimate league. Like teams come out of there and go and do good things in, in NCAA D1. So, I mean, whether whatever team you're on, whether it be Minot State, Lindenwood, Ohio, it's good hockey and just keep playing and don't, you know, don't think it's the end of the road. Huge shout out to Wally for coming on. We had a absolute blast talking to him. Uh, I hope every, not even ACHA fans, but hockey fans everywhere will appreciate all the stories he had and just the type of guy he is. You could, you could hear it. He was so, you know, authentic with us. He treated us like we were teammates in the locker room with him. It was a really fun time. Herm, you battled technical difficulties with Wally all the way through. And so shout out to you. You'll get the first words here. Through two different platforms and two different Zoom accounts, Wally was a great sport through everything. What a class act. So many people say that they want to come on the podcast and then come on the podcast and kind of hold out on some of the stories that they're telling everyone. Wally is the antithesis of that and shared everything and did it well. What an incredible guest. What an incredible person, honestly. I feel the same way because after we finished the interview, I felt like take away his name, take away everything he's done in his hockey career, just as a person and somebody we're talking to. He was awesome. He was phenomenal. Answered all of our questions. Had went into great detail about every little thing. You know, he remembered those games at Lindenwood. He remembered his teammates. He talked about those guys at Lindenwood. He still remembers and talk about the transition he made to the queue and just all the way through his hockey career. He had something to say about every point. You know, how could you not with the journey he's been through? Fitz, how'd you feel about it? You can feel the the type of player he is by the way he talks. You just you you know that he's just you know one of those guys that's for the boys. He's he's gonna do anything you know for the team. Some of those stories about you know the locker room antics and doing the starting lineups, and he, he doesn't even hesitate when he, he gets called the first first game. He's you know he brings his costume with his morph suit, and he's gonna he's gonna get up in front of you know Kucherov, Vasilevsky, Victor Hedman. Like these guys are you know all stars, superstars in the National Hockey League. He's just gonna show up and you know continue to be the team guy he is. I, just an amazing interview. I think it's easily one of one of the best, if not the best, we've had. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. This is easily one of our best interviews. Wally was a great guy, had some great stories. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. I had a great time the entire time interviewing him. Yeah, it was just like I was looking at you guys and like it was really cool. Like I noticed Fitz, like you were smiling the entire time. Glickmore had a straight face at some points, but like you and I were, we were smiling the whole time. Herm didn't have his camera on. I'm sure he was smiling too, but just like it, it, it's one of those moments. And like, I guess we can pat ourselves on the back, but like we started this thing and now like, that's like kind of a cherry on top. Like we're, we're kind of year one is coming to a close. We've made a lot of progress, brought a lot of awareness to the ACHA and, and club hockey as a whole. And that's just like something I thought would happen down the road. I don't think I thought it would happen happen this quickly I don't you know it was perfect storm with him winning the cup and and getting him on and I you know I, I couldn't be more proud of what we've done and it was it was a really cool moment I think the best part about the interview for me is I was looking at his elite prospects page like everyone in the ACHA does because Daniel Walcott's career is 
a trivia question. Every time somebody says this has never been done before, pull up his Elite Prospects page. His Elite Prospects page has been seen by 62,000 people. I would say a majority of those are guys in the ACHA at the bar showing some random girl that, yes, people from this league do go play in the NHL. The fact that we could get him on was just awesome. And talking to him afterwards, he just seemed like, you know, he really appreciates everyone who, who's given him the love and looking forward to what he does with the rest of his hockey career. And as we ramp up things and get ready for this season, we're doing the Battle of Barnes tournament and the overwhelming responses we've gotten have been awesome so far. And I think Herm can back me up here. It's been awesome seeing some of these teams send in videos of of packed barns. And I, I'd like to reiterate that it is the Battle of the Barns. I think a lot of people are counting out some of these rinks because they're not very nice. But I think we all, we're all in agreement. You'd rather play in a dumpy rink that's packed to the rim than, you know, a nice rink with nobody there. Wouldn't you agree, Herm? Yeah, completely agree. We caught some flack for it. I'm not going to mention the team specifically that was like, you need to pick better rinks on Twitter. We want it to be about atmosphere. We want it to be about raucous fans. We want it to be about what the ACHA is really all about. But with teams supporting us in terms of content, a couple of quick shout outs to uh, Utah State. Shout out to BYU, shout out to UCO, UGA. They have been great in terms of providing us content that you're either going to see on some of the Battle of the Barns posts or stuff down the line. If you're a social media manager for one of those pages uh, that we added you to a group chat, this is a very, very niche request, uh, but please, please send us some more photos and videos. Yeah, and another shout out to the guys at Millersville. They were really good about sending us some stuff too, and that's one of those underrated rinks that maybe... Maybe people didn't agree with being on the list, but you'll see with these videos that they sent that they packed the place and it looks like an awesome place to play. Talking about, you know, growth as a podcast, Herm has helped us here. and We've expanded to Facebook. I mean, Herm, you know more than I, but what, what can people do? They can follow and like us on Facebook. Yeah, you can follow and like on Facebook. We also have a LinkedIn page too, just so we can all look good on our LinkedIn's and maybe we start posting content there. So it's not just, I'm pleased to announce that I'm moving to a job promotion. Maybe you get some ACAJ content sprinkled in there too. So we'll see about that. We can post when guys get jobs after the ACHA for, you know, the the crowd like Fitz who, you know, have seen their final ACHA days, but are now in the job hunt. So, you know, all kinds of content ideas this time of the year. And as we wrap things up, obviously on a more somber note, but I think it's fitting given the the guy we interviewed, but the hockey community lost a huge locker room guy this past week. And our thoughts and prayers go to the whole Hayes family on the loss of Jimmy Hayes. He did not have any affiliation to the ACHA. He did play college hockey at Boston College where he won a national championship. But it was one of those things on hockey Twitter where, yes, there were some Bruins fans posting some highlights of him at the Garden, but nobody was sharing highlights. And it was because everybody was talking about what a, what a good person he was, what a good teammate he was. You saw Jerry York, his Hall of Fame college coach, talking about how he was a top five player. I mean, think about it. Jerry York has seen so many NHLers go through with far better skill than Jimmy Hayes. And for a coach like that, of that magnitude, to be talking about the presence that he had in the locker room and how he could light up a room and how he had the locker room, you know, at all times he had everyone's attention. And just like you hear the story that Wally was talking about of, you know, there are certain guys that maybe, you know, from a viewer's perspective, you're watching on TV, they might not, you might be like, Oh, what, you know, why do they have this guy on the team? Like, why is he out there? But so much goes into the behind the scenes. You need guys like guys like Jimmy Hayes in your locker room to be successful and have guys wanting to go to the rink. It's a huge loss for the Boston hockey community. He lived through every new England kids dream, every Boston, kid's dream. He grew up in Dorchester, played college hockey at BC and 
got to play for the Bruins. So once again, huge loss for the hockey community. But as always, thank you guys for tuning in. We've got some great stuff ready for this season. So make sure you follow along for the ride. See you, boys. See you, boys. Season finale.